Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Church, it's amazing to be able to share with you this Palm Sunday. Um, looking at the city, I'm looking at the, you know, all the landmarks are here across the river, and uh, you know, you can't help but think of all the different lives, all the different people here, all the, all, 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 all the different lives. You know, it's amazing uh, to think. Uh, but I can't help but question. I can't help but wonder: Do these people know what it is to have peace? Do they know what it is to really experience the peace of God? You know, it's Palm Sunday. We know the story, the triumphal entry. It's in all four of the Gospels, so you know it's special. Jesus appears in Jerusalem to present himself as the peace that the people needed. See, the people had their own plan for peace. They had their own plan. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was supposed to show up and kick the Romans out and bring the kind of peace that they thought that they wanted. And I wonder how many of us live that way. Oh God, this is what I need for peace. God, God, if I could just get this, if you could just do that for me, that would give me the peace that, that I really need. And, and Jesus, he appears and they're waving Hosanna with palm branches. They're so thrilled. Here comes God, Messiah. He's gonna come and, and do peace my way. And it's amazing, Jesus, instead of turning left to kick out the Romans, turns right and points to the heart of the issue. He points to the temple as if to say, the problem that you have isn't horizontal, as in what's going on around you. It's to do with God. The peace you need is peace with God. Jesus didn't come to give the people the peace that they thought they needed to to fulfill their plan for peace. He came to fulfill God's plan for peace, to shed his blood on a cross and die for people so that according to Romans 5.1, we could have peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus. Amazing. He's the Prince of Peace. He didn't come on a horse of signifying war. He came on a donkey, humble, lowly. Oh God, I pray that we would never miss that which would bring us peace, that Jesus is the source of our peace, that Jesus is the one who brings peace. He's the one. And so today as we worship, as we begin to lift the name of Jesus up and sing Hosanna and hallelujah, let it be to the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the sacrificial king, uh, the king who came to die, not the king who came to reign, but the king who came to die so that peace could reign in our hearts. Let's worship Jesus, the Prince of Peace this morning. Amen and amen, cheers. The greatest week in history we're celebrating. I'm so grateful this morning for just uh, the worship led by Andy and uh, great uh, Miriam adding a bit of groove into the worship here at Court Church, adding a bit of soul eventually, amen. God bless you for that today. I hope you're really blessed and God has um, a plan for your life. And of course, if you're joining us for the first time here, uh, I do hope that you sense the presence of the Lord. He's right with you right now. He's everywhere. And uh, the Bible says he will reveal himself to those who ask for him. You know? So it's a simple task for you to reach out and ask the Lord to show you the way forward honestly. And if he shows you the way forward before you ask, would you be ready to walk in it? Because really what I'm going to share this morning has a, has a level to do with that. Um, this is a Palm Sunday, of course, 
four days before Jesus is crucified. So I want you to think about this. Nearly 60% of all the Gospels, when you combine all the Gospels, nearly 60% of all the Gospels have to do with the last nearly three weeks of Jesus' ministry on earth. It's amazing, isn't it? So the whole apex of the emphasis of Christ's life all bear down upon these couple of weeks. And right up to the time of Palm Sunday, it's been a busy time for Jesus' ministry annual. Just a week before that, he'd raised Lazarus from the grave. And now this caused no small uh, stir among the Jewish population, particularly in the heartland of Jerusalem, because um, Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem, and Lazarus and his sisters were a well-noted Jewish family that were wealthy. You couldn't really kind of put them into maybe marginalized groups of Jews that arguably when Jesus heals a blind man, he might have been from a poor family. Maybe it's just a story and people can discredit some of those stories and try to discredit them. And that's, of course, what the scribes and the Pharisees always wanted to do. They tried to discredit the work of Jesus. I mean, it was very hard to discredit him feeding 5,000 people and women and children, mind you. But they did their damnedest to do it, you know, because they wanted to hold authority and power over the people. Religion always wants to hold you in bondage. And actually, Jesus came to break the power of religion, which is the power of sin, amen. Because religion is always man's way to get to God. That's what it is. All religions are the same. Every religion on this planet has the same thesis. Bar Christianity, hallelujah. Christianity is different. Every religion on this planet says God's up there, you're down there. And if you do our particular sets of good deeds and religious rituals and practices, you'll start to build the way towards God. Yippee to you. The problem is that we had nearly 4,000 years of that and nobody could do it. The Jews who were given the revelation of God, the very ones that had the oracles of God to theirs was the prophets. They had the signs and wonders as a nation. They were a microcosm to the enti- as a testimony to the entire known world because they were the ones that had the famous stories attached to them, how God rescued them from the strongest empire of the time, the Egypt, Egyptian empire, brought them out to incredible signs and wonders. Not only that, Egypt lost an entire army giving chase after it had uh, repented of leaving them go from slavery and established them into a homeland that they were never part of. I mean, the storyline is absurd, but it's phenomenal. The history of the Jewish nation, friends, is something that if you want to look at it, it's amazing. It's an amazing history, even to today, how they've preserved their identity as a people is a miracle in itself because God's not finished with Israel, you see. And so he's got a plan that he's still to work yet through Israel as a nation. But you have this absurd notion that God called a man called Abraham. To that man, he says, I'm going to give you, he gives him a promise that he's going to bring a seed out of his lineage. And that seed would be a supernatural seed because it would defeat the powers of sin and darkness and all those things that held men blind and, lived and living in a pathetic realm, friends. Outside of Christ, it's pathetic. There is not, it, the Bible says all is meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. And so God takes a man, Abraham, out of that man he makes, he gives him a family. Out of that family he makes a nation. To that nation, he gives them a homeland that's not theirs into the land of Canaan. And there they establish the Jewish nation. And from that lineage comes now the apex of the revelation of God's plan to the world, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. It's a phenomenal story. And so we all know the nativity story, of course, Christ becoming part of the human world. Christ, the divine God, becoming also fully man. The mystery of the, the divine 
What we, exception to the rule, as I like to put it, amen. No other man ever was like Christ, fully God and fully man. And yet he comes into the world, and I love even that the angel says, you, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from the Romans. He shall save his people from the coronavirus. He shall save his people from economic calamity. See, this is what the Jews were looking for. The Jews were looking for that type of a savior. They fell so into a, a, an earthly thinking. that, And even today, their savior, God bless them, is a deficient savior. Their, 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 their savior is only one, yet they're waiting for their Messiah to come. He's the one that will just set an order in the world. You know, the brotherhood of man, the come by our story. You know, they're looking for Harry Potter, friends. They're not looking for a savior. They're looking for people to change their circumstances, but not change their hearts. I like that song, actually, because when I, began to, when I was listening to the words, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance, because I just want to praise him. See, a lot of people want the shackles off their feet, but not to praise him. Do you understand? You know, and so I, there's a phenomenon. This is, this is what we call the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And I, I want to read you, first of all, a verse from Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Then he commanded his disciples, verse 20, that you should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. Then he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Why do you think about that? Mindful of the things of men. Man's view of how it should work out. Man's view of what he thinks happiness would be. Well, I'm telling you, can you imagine if you got all your wishes came true? I want to tell you right now, you'll be no happier, friends, because there is no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. There's no peace until a man is, first of all, at peace within. There's no conflict resolution by changing the exterior of the situation. And that is the misnomer of every religion. Every religion, every philosophy outside of Christ is all about changing conditions. And so they take it out of religion, they take it into the political sphere. You have your left and your right, your, your, your communists and your fascists. And both with their worldviews of how to bring a social utopia. And friends, and that's what they just strive after. But there's no utopia until something is changed within here. And of course, that's the gospel narrative. The gospel bypasses all the sort of uh, useless arguments that I'm the way I am because the system is the way it is. If I had a dollar for every a euro for every time I heard that nonsense. I am the way I am because I'm oppressed. I am the way I am because I'm put down. I'm the way I am because of the color of my skin. If I had a dollar for that, you're the way you are and I'm the way I am because of the inward dwelling of the power of sin in our bodies, friends. And so it's not about bringing some sort of Harry Potter. And of course, Peter doesn't understand the concept because he's of the things of men. He's, he's, he is the social justice warrior. Peter is the guy that, you know, this shouldn't happen to you. We're going to bring you to Jerusalem. You're going to establish a reign authority. You're going to end all oppression. You're going to level the playing field. Well, of course he is, but he's not going to do it your way, Peter. He doesn't do it by changing structures. He doesn't do it by just pointing out the, 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 the failures of men. The failures of men are obvious, friends. All men. Different 
social economic backgrounds can manifest in different ways, but they're all there, friends. Everyone, the whole nine yards, and they're all in us, and given any particular set of circumstances, we too would be no different than our forefathers. If we were born in different circumstances, different ways, because the nature of sin would give rise to whatever sort of conduit is given, amen, from whatever background you're from, whatever country you live in. And so Peter doesn't see the universal problem as an inward problem. He doesn't see the universal problem, and, and, but God knows it, you see. God knows what he has to deal with. And so this is the, this is the thing, the mindful of the things of men. And that's the issue today, friends. Mindful of the things of men. I want to read this this morning until I get my notes here. Yeah, somewhere. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Luke 19. This is, of course, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olive, Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Interesting word used here, not for Lord, let me tell you. Do a word search. It's much more than just a ruler. It's talking about God. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the coat, the owners said to them, what are you loosening this coat? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the coat and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And now as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice, praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had Seeing, saying, and this is the saying, this is the people now. Adonai. Little bit of Hebrew I learned when I was in Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus begins to make his triumphant entry in on this cold, as Patrick said in the video. I walked to him straight after the video this morning. I said, gee, thank you very much for robbing every aspect of a message today. And, uh, and, uh, and he unabashedly just looked at me, of course, saying, well, you know, it was awesome. I love that video because you cannot overhear what we're going to share with you today. You cannot overhear. This is the battle. This is the real issue all the time. In actual fact, the Bible is a repeated narrative. It's re repeating the same things in different ways because we are slow of hearing. In actual fact, not only are we slow of hearing, we've got an inbuilt in us ability to hear things the way we want to hear them. And that's, the, that's a, I mean, let's be honest, it's amazing. You get a room of 10 people and you're telling them all the same truth, but they want to hear it through their lens. And so there's 10 different ways of interpreting that, but God is trying to get a clearer message here. And so this is what's happening here. Jesus is bringing, he's coming into Jerusalem. I've been, actually, I've walked that very road down from Bethany, right down to the Olivet, right across the Kidron, and I walked right up. You can't get in there now because that east gate is actually sealed off, but that's the gate he would have come through. And as Jesus is coming through there, it's the time coming up to Pentecost, one of the great big feasts and ceremonies of the Jews. So there's huge crowds gathering into Jerusalem. Four days later, they're going to, have, they're going to celebrate, sorry, Passover. And they're going to celebrate the Passover lamb. So the crowds are swelling. And there is this, it's been a busy week, as I said, you know, the, the, the news of Jesus. Because up to now, these 
pre these two weeks, Jesus' ministry is mainly around the Galilee, Nazareth, the hinterlands. And all of a sudden, he starts to make his presence known in Jerusalem, the epicenter of religious authority, of course. And they're hearing from, about his miracles. They're hearing about the signs. And they're hearing rumors coming in from different rabbis and, and different clerics around the country of this man that everyone's saying, could this be the Messiah? So there's a, there's a shaking going on in the religious institutions. Religion hates challenge, friends. They, they hate change. You know, much as they're looking for a Messiah, they're not friends. They're just looking to stay in charge. That's what they're looking for. Let's be honest. They're always looking for power. Religion's always about power over you. But Jesus said, I've come to set you free. I've come, I've come that you'd have life and have it more abundantly. And so there's this huge um, sense of it's Passover. It's festive. It's reflective. The rumors of a man of God coming into the city. The, and then the news coming through that, did you know a man called Lazarus, a wealthy man from Bethany, he's well-known. He's a well-known, respected Jewish man. He's educated. He's not your riffraff type as others. You know, when I became a Christian and many of us back in the 70s, it was always, you know, back then it was always, well, it's always those hippie types becoming Christians, you know. It's always those sort of slightly rebellious ones finding Christ. And that was true to a point, I have to be honest with you. But when my mom and dad got saved, that was a Catholic mom and dad with a family. My dad was a businessman. And it created such a stir in Ireland that Maureen Fox from the Examiner newspaper came and did a center page article on my family's testimony because nobody really Want, everybody wanted to write off the sort of party Dobbinses of this world. I wonder young radicals, anyhow, you know. I mean, he's got no sense of responsibility. And what is his connection to the, to, to the community? You know, they're always out. In the, but all of a sudden, a businessman, a mom and dad with four kids, known in the community, all of a sudden becoming born again. Now, that was a story. It was a story, a story that we paid very heavily for, actually, as a family. But I'll go into that another time. But now the story of Lazarus. In actual fact, because Lazarus is raising from the dead, was creating such a stir, the Jews were also looking to kill Lazarus. Yeah. <laughs> you read that in John's Gospel, they're looking to kill him. They have to get rid of the evidence. Religion is always murderous, friends. You look down through the history of religion. In the name of Jesus, but I tell you, that Jesus that they killed, and he, they only spell his name the same way. He bears no, res- no resemblance to the Jesus of this book, amen. And uh, so they're coming in, and there's this, there's this enormous uh, fever pitch. And then they begin to cry because they're thinking, man, he raised Lazarus. And not only that, after raising Lazarus just a week ago, he heals two blind men as he's coming up from Jericho back to Bethany. I mean, this is really fever pitch stuff. This is big news, friends. Blind Bartimaeus is one of them. I mean, that, I think that's Thursday of last week. Um, we were in service Wednesday night, and I, think, I said to Andy, I said, I think today is the day that blind Bartimaeus was healed. And we, weren't, we were good. I, I had to check my facts, and I didn't get to check. It was either Thursday or Wednesday. But you can imagine the epic week leading up to this triumphant entrance. Can you imagine how the rumors were just flying? And now it's a hype season in the Jewish calendar. And there's miracles to beat the band. And the people are captivated by it. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't know what to do. And in actual fact, you'll find the bulk of Jesus' teachings all coming in this next four days. I mean, it's amazing. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. He spoke that in Jerusalem hours before they took him, friends. You know, just that, 24 hours before they took him in Jerusalem. He speaks that in the temple. What an affront to religion. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. When the whole Jewish thinking was made a, 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 metro, a, met, 
I can't find the word, but you know it. You had to, you had to merit and the meritocracy. A meritocracy, you get to merit the favor of God through Jewish religious good works and deeds. In actual fact, I recently listened to a rabbi talk about their understanding of salvation. And it really is a Darwinian view of spirituality. You know, the survival of the actual disciplined, strong. And so the weak ones, those of us that are more caught up in the nature of Adam. Well, good luck to you, sir. You ain't, you ain't got much of a chance. Those of you who are educationally challenged, those of you who, you who have come from the most awful backgrounds where you were beaten by your parents, some of you raped, some of you raped in, by your family members, some of you defiled and broken in so many ways, not given education and so messed up today. Well, good luck to you because how are you going to pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Where's your salvation going to come from? You're broken. The reality is they're broken as well, but they're broken because of their pride. And you're broken because everything's in you. God sees both brokennesses and he makes a way for you as he makes a way for me. No matter, as I say, your economic, social, religious, ethnicity, whatever it is, friends, we are all the same. There's something wrong in the core of us. And so this is the plan of the Savior to come in and do this deed. And of course, as he comes into Jerusalem, there's this eruption of praise. It's already festive. They're already excited. The Jews loved going up to Jerusalem for Passover. They loved it. It was one of the great times of the year for them. And so the, you know, to eat the Passover lamb and, 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 to, and to recite the story of, of the great exodus. And so Jesus is coming in and they use a word called Hosanna. Now, the word Hosanna, in its original form, literally meant save us. It was actually the cry of a slave back in earlier times when they would go by in, in the marketplace and they would hold up their chains and they would go, Hosanna, save us. It became homogenized as a worship phrase as regards to praising God, the one that saves us. But in actual fact, here they are crying out to him, Hosanna, Baruch Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a recognition. They're hearing stories. They're beginning to recognize. And now for the first time in three and a half years, Jesus is becoming established it looks like he's being accepted the masses are opening up their hearts to him they're taking off their garments they're taking on palm branches according to other parts of the other gospels they're lining the streets they're crying out his name save us save us hallelujah save us you're the messiah save us save us but the friends as i said at the beginning of this message they wanted a savior that would save them from manifestations but not from themselves they wanted harry potter not a god that would change the inside they wanted someone that would change the circumstances like so many today they want god to answer their lives but not to change their lives Answer my circumstances, but not change me inside because the issue is inside. Lord, save us. Save us from, as Patrick said, the big one for them was the Roman oppression. Oh, if we can just get rid of the Brits. I remember. That was the back in the, oh, if we could just get them rid of, and if we could only get them rid of out of Northern Ireland, you know, everything would be utopia. Uh, my reason for being so unhappy inside and so angry at the world is all because of those big, bad British. And it was the same with the Romans, of course. It's great to be able to project off, I am the way I am because of this and that and the other. And so their thinking is that if we could cast off the strains of Roman, the Roman Empire and become a liberated nation, we would be a better people. Mm. Heard that one before. Strange enough, when we got our liberation here and our independence Next day, a different flag flew over the Doyle area and same taxes, <laughs> same rules of law, same few making a lot of money and the same, the rest of us uh, keeping them in positions. 
you know, not to go political this morning, but you have to catch my drift here. Those structures are not going to save anybody. And that was the thinking of the Jews. Cast off, save us from the Romans. Save us from financial problems. Hosanna, save us from social breakdown. Save us from unemployment. Save us from hunger. There was hungry people there, friends. It wasn't an easy time to live. Save us from social injustice. Save us from the coronavirus. But my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts, for as high as the heavens are above, so my ways are above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. And all of a sudden, the Savior, the temptation, the temptation to say, you know, I have the meat not in my hand. For three and a half years, I've battled. He's battled with some, some, some liked him, some were indifferent, and the majority were against him. And, and now, and I can only imagine how Peter and the, and the other 11 must have felt because they walked three and a half years with the Savior. Three and a half years, friends. Public ministry, hundreds of miracles, thousands of lives touched, hungry mouths fed, 1,277 days of teaching and dis- discipling. And I'm sure there was a walk then when they saw the reaction, they thought revival is here. Wow. At last, they like us. They really like us. I can imagine how Peter, the extrovert, I, I just think of him, you know, the, the, he, you know, Jesus is on. This is my own conjecture. You can shoot me now. I'll ask Peter. I don't want to wrong you, Peter. When we get to heaven, you can correct me. But I can only imagine with an extrovert when the crowd is going euphoric for Christ and shouting, Hosanna, there's a procession. And he's out in front, the chest out, going, that's my guy. He, I'm with him, you know. Uh, and all the other 12, this sense a good feel factor that before we were the marginalized, sitting under an unknown rabbi, you know, being pushed from pillar to post, being laughed at, you know, and now the city's opening up to me. And the temptation to give the people what they want rather than what they need. The idea of being flattered away. Patrick is right, as he went into the city, there is a telltale moment. Things begin to change, of course. The whole attitude begins to change according to most commentators and, and later commentators on the history of the time. The praise is shallow, friends. An awful lot of praise is shallow. They heap praises on you. And an awful lot of our praise could be shallow. They're praising him. But it's a shallow praise. It's not a praise, friends. It's a praise for what you can do for me. Not for what you've done. Or what you can do in me, but what you can do for me. It's a praise that seeks to manipulate God for their own ends. I'm going to tell you, that spirit has not stopped. It is part of the human world. It is part of the church. It's part of carnal nature. The exploitation of God to make him into your errand boy. You know, God do this for me. God do that. Flick the light switch. God do this for me. And when he doesn't, oh, he doesn't answer prayer. Oh, my word. That's right. He's your skip to boy. Oh, if you're there, do this. Why should he? Where's your waiting? Where's your reflection on this? And you're dealing with God Almighty here. You're dealing with the plans of God, the purposes of God. And there is, and I want to tell you, even though God makes himself casual in one way through his relationship with Christ, there is a learning of the presence of God, friends. There is a learning of interaction with the King of Kings. There's a, there's a growing into the relationship. When my children were small babies, they can come to me any hour of the day and night, but as they get older, they need to learn the different protocols and relating. And so they're dealing with God Almighty, but of course, no. 
They're not interested in the things of God. Like Peter, they're interested in the things of men. And so it all comes to the apex, the turning point. As you're going to go to the Antonian garrison, as Patrick pointed out this morning in that beautiful video, that's the garrison there that really kept an eye on the temple. Because the Romans knew that this is a nationalistic under a religion of Judaism. And if revolt was going to happen, it's going to happen out of that temple. So they kept the garrison nice and close to keep an eye upon any possible insurrection. So he goes through that east gate and the people are crying and crying, Hosanna, save us. And to save us as political friends, you have to understand this. To save us is being hijacked by the nationalists. It's being hijacked, uh, you know, into this. Come on now, if you're really him, you know, you know where you have to go. You, you, you need to go down here, Jesus, to the right-hand side. That's where you got it wrong. <laughs> Left was to the temple. And so uh, maybe I got it wrong, but it doesn't matter. But it was, a, it was a fork in the road, and there's always a fork in the road. It's, and so the, the way of Christ was always going to be the way of the cross. It was going to be the way of God. And I want to tell you, friends, if you think that you can wave some sort of magic wand prayer and get God to bend to your particular sets of requests, that is what the people wanted to do. They wanted God. But God was after the true meaning and the true destination of people. The way of the cross was going to be for the purposes of the cross. He was going to take the shackles off so that you could praise him. Moses said it years ago to Pharaoh, let my people go, that they would, that they would worship me, not themselves, that they would serve me, not themselves. It wasn't that this Messiah was going to come in and all of a sudden just flood your pockets with money and give you plenty of health and you just toddle off your life and you're going to live happily ever after. You can, Listen, friends, there's loads of people with great health and loads of money and they're the most miserable species on the planet. Mostly celebrities, mind you. They have it all and they're ending their lives. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. And it's not about your health. It's not about your money, even though he's concerned about these things. It's not that Christ is indifferent about your health. It's not that Christ is indifferent about your marriage and your circumstances and even slavery of the time. But he knew you're getting, you're getting nowhere till we get the core of the issue. And you can imagine as Jesus makes, and the train follows him in, and disciples are breast out, head up, shoulders back, and they're marching into Jerusalem. I'm sure there must have been a moment for Peter thinking, surely, surely, surely we're going to, the crowd is with us, the people are with us. And for the first time in three and a half years, they like us. I always get nervous when people start to like us. I do. Because are they liking us for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, friends? Are they liking us because we're misrepresenting what God really stands for? That's just about social justice warring and, 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 and you know, the feed cork. We, we love the work of feed cork is a work of this church. And it's done out of a faith-based core. That because Christ has changed us and put a love in our hearts, then that love is made expressed. Not because we're trying to impress God or impress the people. Because God has generated something in us. Us who were selfish by nature. Us who couldn't care about the poor. Many of us couldn't care. I mean, we, we laugh among ourselves as Christians. Before we became changed by the Spirit of God. We wouldn't even hang out with each other. You know, goodness, you know, you mean, that's why the Bible calls us a peculiar people. I mean, I come to court church and I, I, I always so saddened when I come back on Sunday morning. Just to see the few that are here helping us to do the online service. And so many red empty chairs. And I think of the many faces that I pray every day as much as I can remember the names I call out, names and families every day to the Lord. And I, and I, I, you know, the joy of, of, of fellowship, the joy of people, 
the joy of expressing yourselves in the house of God and lifting up holy hands together. Of course, friends, God knows our need of that. But you know, when we as Christians come to junctions in the road, when we come to forks in the road, and we're at a fork in the road today, and God in his sovereignty says, no, no, it's not to overthrow the virus, not at this stage. I'm at a plan here. I want you to trust me. I want you to walk the journey. Come to the temple with me. And come to the cross with me. Come and pick up the cross today. Not that you're paying for your sins, but there is going to be a level of heavy lifting at times, friends, where you and I too much try to enter the kingdom to following the way of the master, and it does not appeal to us. I would rather go up and placard Doyle Aaron and go out and rabble raise and, and, and throw stones and light monotile cocktails and try to bring change to society. It would be easier for me, trust me. I'd have, I'm as devious as the next guy. I think I could disrupt systems as good as anyone else. But I want to tell you, that's not his way. His way is the presence of God and his way is going to be a cross, a laying down. So what do you want him to save you from? You want him to save you from... You want him to save you from yourself. You want him to save you from the thing that has been dragging you under, which is not other people, it's you. And as they began to see that he was not going to be the type of savior that we were expecting, because men like the, they just like the, the, the physical realm, what you can smell, taste, touch, feel, and hear. And when that doesn't seem to tickle their fancy, all of a sudden there's a drop off. Now, the Bible says they did come to the temple with him. Jesus threw out the money lenders. You'll read that later on, just in the next few verses. And it does say they hung in every word. So you have those among them that are drawn. And you have those who are hanging in every word. Not to get any revelation, they're hanging in every word. to hang them later on, friends. Because he is not what we want. But that is God's plan. That is God's salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. He shall save his people from their sin. Regardless of the temptation to go with the accolades of men and to just usher in some sort of earthly utopia with no change to the core of your being. Friends, that would be false. That's what religion offers you today. Religion offers you to change the outside of the vessel. Make it look clean and acceptable and orderly. Let's get good rules of order. Let's get good laws. And there's nothing wrong with good rules of order, friends. There's nothing wrong with putting in systems in place of, of order in society. I'm all for that. But they think that's the only way. That's what will box in all our ills. Let me tell you, there's going to be no peace. And the Prince of Peace comes into here. And so he sets his face, as Isaiah 50 says, like a flint. Hallelujah. He sets his face like a flint. Luke says, he said, I must go resolutely, just as Jesus says, to Jerusalem. I have to go there. I have to die. Because without the shedding of his blood, without him, step, without him stepping into a gap to satisfy the justice of God, salvation would never, ever come to humanity. And so the cost and so of this great salvation, friends, are beginning to be seen here in the last few hours of the Savior's life. Talking about going from highs to lows, four days later they crucify him. Riding high in April, shot down in May, as the old song goes. Oh, the hollow praises of people. Oh, the hollow praises that come out of my own mouth. The hollow hyperbole that I speak to God. The hollowness of sometimes our own worship. Sometimes we're worshiping and praising him. And in the back of our minds, it's not because of who he is. It's because of what we can get from him. Oh God, 
Help us to grow up. Help us to truly see what the plan was. And help us to celebrate that it is for the eternal side of a man, friends, not just a temporary side. People want wizardry. They want Harry Potter. Change my circumstances, but not my heart. Change me, but don't disturb me quite right now, please. But the price, the prize is the souls of men. The eternal existence and condition of mankind. That is what he's after, friends. He goes to the temple and he goes to the cross. And so the fork will always be there for us. The fork wasn't just in Jerusalem. Where the fork is every day, friends. The fork in the road is the way of the cross or the way of my way. Christ, where your way. And that's still, the, that's still there today. It became very obvious when he came into Jerusalem and the drop off of the crowd and the very same people that cried, Baruch Abacham Adonai, four days later said, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. All oh, the hollowness. Because like spoiled children, we didn't get what we wanted. And oh, how we can be as Christians, bringing it home to us believers. Oh, how we can be so harsh to the Savior because we don't get what we want. Oh, how we can be so aggressive in our attitudes towards him when things don't quite work out the way I think they should work out. We too, friends, have that propensity in our own nature to be so like the Jews of old, to be so ungrateful, to miss the bigger purposes in life. And I pray as we journey through this, this wonderful Passion Week that we begin to align ourselves again to the passion of Christ, the purposes of God. Because as we bring ourselves into alignment with that, then the glory of God will come into your life again. The peace that passes understanding. There'll be no doubleness of heart, no doubleness of thinking. But it'll be solely thinking for the glory of God, for the souls of men. And that wherever he leads me, I shall follow. And whatever happens, it's his will in my life. And I'll be like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't kill a man like that because he already died. May God bless you as we go through Holy Week. I encourage you to read your Bible every day. You should anyhow. Read these last number of chapters, these last 12 or 13 chapters of most of the Gospels. And they all deal with the teaching of Christ, how they tried to entrap him in the, in the temple, how they tried to find reason to crucify him. They couldn't, of course, tempting him about money, about giving money to Caesar, and all these sort of things. Well, John the Baptist all took place at the temple. But don't worry, they had no reason, so they'll trump up a reason, friends, and they will crucify him. And we'll follow the journey of the Savior this week. Cork Church will be posting on some videos to keep your mind focused on the wonders of this great salvation. What a Savior we have, friends. What a God. Come on. What an amazing man. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We bless you this morning, Jesus. Will you bow your head with me wherever you are? Even here in the sanctuary, if God's been speaking to you. Maybe you've been like a spoiled child, just wanting your, your way. And God is saying, you have to lay it down. You have to listen to my voice. You have to follow my lead. And that lead, you know, he said it to Peter. I said, Peter, it's going to come a time in your life where you, you're going to be bound and you're going to be led. And you're going to be led to some places where you don't even want to go. But that's going to be my will for you. But you will honor me. And when you die, you'll bring great glory to my name. Now, that was enough for Peter, friends. I can imagine on the eve of when they took him out and they, you know what happened. They crucified him upside down according to history. Andy, thank you. Andy, bless you. 
And Eve, I can imagine Peter on the eve of his execution. He's seen crucifixion. He knows the torture of it. He's seen the brutality of the Romans. But I could imagine the words of Christ flooded into him. Peter, you're going to glorify me even in your death. And we read about him today, friends. We read about him today, a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And a man that caught hold of the vision of God is far greater than his interpretation of the vision. God, help us to live not just by the purposes of the cross, but for the purposes of the cross. And that we would embrace that cross at every junction of the road. There's going to be Antonian junctions all the way through your life, friends. But it's to the presence of God and to the cross we go every time. God, I pray you would just now, Lord, touch the hearts of men and women, Lord, have got off purpose, that our Lord, acting like spoiled children. I've been there so many times, God. I just, I'm so amazed at your love, Lord. I'm so amazed that you would receive us back again and again. But Lord, this special week, for the joy that was set before you, the joy which was to see men and women watching on screen today, Lord, sitting here in the church and in millions of churches around the world, transformed by that love, Lord. That was the joy. You endured the pain of the cross, the suffering of the cross. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, as we will walk this week spiritually, Lord, as we will consider. And as, Lord, we would rejoice and as we would imbibe again the very, very beautiful face of our Savior as they will take you, dear Savior, because of our sin. And and they would beat you and they would treat you wretchedly Lord nobody should be treated like that save you Lord the one who's spotless Lord beat you whip you pluck the beard from your face strip you naked Lord mock you and then make you carry a cross almost dead in your physical strength and then nail you to that cross and all this is the plan of God. None of this is an accident. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. Help us now, Lord, to go left at the junction and go to the temple and go to the cross and not pursuing our own foolishness, I pray. Help our praise not to be hollow, but let it be real. Save us your way, God, not our way. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and God keep you. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.